Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, once again, we find ourselves between qualifying and a race. But before we get to any of that, we have something more important. More important? Yeah. What could possibly be more important than a weekend of F1 after we had to take a long, interminable weekend off? Phil reached out to us and asked a question. Oh, listener questions. <laughs> we should have like a bumper for that or something. Uh, yeah, I, I, we don't get them enough. Give me more questions and I will go and create a bumper. Okay. And there, I know there's more than just Phil listening and other people have questions that we can make up answers to. Oh, good. This is a make up an answer on the fly question. Isn't that what we normally do? <laughs> you don't have to tell the listening public oh, that. We're not okay. supposed to admit it. Okay. Um, well, Phil reached out to us on Facebook, and I think it actually got posted. I don't know. Facebook was weird this week. But Phil asked, what happened to those cool graphics we saw sector by sector in Australia um, detailing the tire that they were on, whether or not it was personal best? There was some really good information. And the little dots underneath the graphics that told yeah. you turn by turn, like were they faster this time than last time in the turn? Yeah. Um, I think I had that same question the last race that we were watching. I'm like, what happened to them? I want them back. Well, we don't know. I have a theory, but we don't know. Does your theory involve the graphics creator being kidnapped in Australia? No. Okay. No, but if you'll recall, um, when qualifying started in Australia, we didn't have any graphics. Correct. We had no standing. We had nothing whatsoever. Now, what you need to, from my understanding of how the graphics work, what you need to understand is that even though all of that comes from the FIA world feed, mm -hmm. that everybody gets that same package, ultimately all of that footage and all of those various stuff, they rely on the local broadcaster to assemble that and put that together and do that. So my theory is that whatever caused the problem with the local broadcaster that resulted in us not getting qualifying graphics in the first place is the same reason why we don't get that information right now, is that whatever that problem was, they haven't solved it. So they've gone back to whatever graphics package and system that they were originally using so that they provide us with something as opposed to the blank screens that we got in Australia. That's my theory. So... What you're saying is that the graphics package is actually provided by Microsoft and they made an upgrade and this is a feature, not a bug. Wow, that's pretty harsh. I was not going to go Microsoft slamming. Oh, come on. It's like my second favorite pastime. Because <laughs> <laughs> anytime I can use this, the phrase, it's a feature, not a bug, we have to. Well, actually, it's not a Microsoft issue. It's Oracle. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's just wrong. Everybody hates Oracle. No. I was amongst <laughs> 4,000 people that did not hate Oracle for the last week. I'm a little twitchy by it. Well, well okay. It's an Oracle database issue. Oh, they, they, they can go screw. See? <laughs> <laughs> Customer experience is where I was. Okay. It's an Oracle database issue. So, you know, lots have happened within the uh, whole Bloken Bird, like, world in this past week while there wasn't F1 going on. Lots happened. Lots happened. I spent a week in Vegas breathing recycled air. 
Yeah, that's exciting. I know. Can can we just be honest about something about Vegas for a minute? I don't like the fact that I never get outside. Like, you don't ever get fresh air when you're there. Yes, but the problem is with Vegas is that for 10 months out of the year, you really don't want to go outside because there's always that risk of spontaneously combusting because it's so hot. Yeah, one of the cab drivers told me that the summer in Vegas is like 117 degrees. Yeah. And of course, I'm in the cab and I'm we're laughing and joking around. I said, but it's a dry heat. And he looked at me and goes, so is my oven. I'm like, that's been my line for years. Anyway, um... It was it was an interesting experience, but yes, I was there with Oracle, um, with our friends at Oracle. But yesterday, not even twelve hours after I returned to the land of the Ohio, you dragged me out of the country. Oh come on! Yes, you did. You dragged me out of the country. We need to go look at sheets in Canada because they don't have <laughs> sheets in America. Well, that's kind of what the Canadian border guard asked. But hey. Most confused Canadian border guard ever. Ever. Apparently, if you pull up to the land crossing at the border and tell the border guard into Canada, why are you coming into the Canada? We need to go shopping for sheets. He will look at you like you have lost what is left of your ever love in mind. However, I will say that the dollar is very good right now to the Canadian dollar. And if you can cross the border to go shopping, not a bad idea. Yeah, they haven't quite hit that the, the markup to compensate for the, uh, the weakness of the Canadian dollar right now. Well, there's that. <clears throat> Plus, there wasn't a single item that we paid full price for the entire day. Yeah, there day. was that too. Um, <clears throat> I'm very, I'm lamenting the fact I didn't pick up the scarf at Roots that I was really looking at. I'm going to have to go see if I can find it online and get it shipped Probably. to me. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so, yes, you dragged me out of the country, and then you dragged your son to Ikea. But the meatballs were good. Yes, they were. Actually, his salmon was really good, too. Okay. What? This is not a story of our lives? Random minutia is... Uh, it's I the way we start that. every show is random <laughs> minutia. And we barely get out of the random minutia by the time we close the show. Hey, let's talk about somewhere that is very much not at all like Canada one bit. Um, There's so many options, my brain just froze. Long Beach, California. True. Not very much like Canada. Well... Many, many years ago, Formula One used to go to Long Beach. Long Beach used to host a Formula One race right through downtown Long Beach. And instead, they had converted over to IndyCar. Right. And they'd been running IndyCar. And that whole weekend, and it was a couple of weeks ago when it happened this year, there's a lot of motorsports events that go. It's not just like, let's slap up the street circuit, run some IndyCars, and we're done. There's like a big Formula Drift con competition that goes on. And... They really have embraced that IndyCar race. I mean, it's like a, oh, yeah. it's one of the big deals on the calendar. They talk about it for a lot. Um, there's like some hype with Long Beach. Well, several years ago, and actually we look at it now, we are two weeks after the completion of this year's uh, Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. The Long Beach City Council has approved a contract for a consulting study with KPMG to determine whether or not the city should keep IndyCar or move to Formula One racing for the Grand Prix. 
Now, this is a $150,000 contract with KPMG for them to come in and evaluate the bids because Formula One has actually approached Long Beach and said, hey, you know, you used to host us. It's a, It was a popular event. We'd really like to come back. Okay. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Now, when – because, of course, Zach Brown is – one of the token Americans in the grid. <laughs> token Americans? Well, Otmar Safnauer is, is the other one over at, uh, at Force India. Um, they don't really count the whole Haas team because there are bits that are scattered everywhere. And, and Gene Haas, granted, you know, he'll comment anytime a microphone's shoved in his face. But Zach Brown seems to be the one that everybody runs to. Well, you know, he's a marketing guru. Yeah, the, there you go. They, they asked Zach about his opinions mm-hmm. uh, on this issue. You know, of whether or not Formula One should go back to Long Beach and when, whether or not it makes any sense. So what Zach had to say, um, he admitted that uh, the event's really fantastic, has a wonderful 43-year history, initially with Formula One, but most recently with IndyCar. He says it's a great venue for IndyCar, but the economics that Formula One requires would need heavy subsidy from government. And from what I understand, I don't believe Long Beach is prepared to pay that type of rights fee. The other very significant part is that to host an F1 race, the track would need to be FIA Grade 1 certified, and that would need a longer track with much more runoff and a substantial pit complex. Well, the track is up against the harbor, so you're not really dealing with an environment that is easy to modify. Plus, the entire circuit resides within the jurisdiction of the California Coastal Commission, so any circuit improvement, such as the necessary pit garage complex, would be subject to their review and approval. So even from a construction point of view, the amount of capital expenditure that would be needed is tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars. On top of that, like I say, the rights fee for Formula One is infinitely more than IndyCar demands. Combine those two costs together and there is no economic model where private investors can get any return on that investment. So therefore, it all comes back to the state of California and the city of Long Beach to come up with the funding. I know KPMG has been hired to, to conduct a survey or, or a study, but that study is going to say it will cost hundreds of millions in commitment. Oh. So, yeah, Zach doesn't really think that that's happening. Well, maybe it's in line right after we get the um, Vegas race that's supposed to happen. And then maybe that's in line right after we get that Hoboken race that was almost there. I mean, which one was it they were looking just for a pin? Just remember, it, it it's not Hoboken. It was Port Imperial. Because nobody wants to go to Hoboken. No, 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 We've no, no. We've been to Hoboken. No, no, no. That is um, Bayonne versus no, Port... No, Bay- uh, Bayonne is Cape Liberty. Cape Liberty. Hoboken is Port Imperial. Oh. Because <laughs> nobody ever wants to take a ship out of Bayonne. True. In fact, you kind of just don't want to go to Bayonne. I've been to Bayonne. I don't want to go back. <laughs> it's better than Elizabeth. Elizabeth smells funny. That's my point. Anyway. <laughs> you know, Bayonne is downwind. You get that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now we have alienated all of our North New Jersey <laughs> listeners. Yeah, only the ones from Hoboken, Bayonne, and Jersey City. You know something? The problem is they're probably listening right now going, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. They nailed it. 
but we love it anyway. And then they have to launch into the standard New Jersey speech about how awesome the garden state of New Jersey is. Yeah, but we're not going to go there. We are going to talk about Fernando Alonso. So then we started with the speech of how awesome Fernando is? No. It turns out that people are still looking at Fernando and his decision to go skip Monte Carlo and go to Indianapolis and go, dude, what the hell were you thinking? Because he went down to Barber last week because there was the, the, the gap there. And, you know, Barber has, has a lot of similarities to IndyCar. Or to Indianapolis, rather. It's an IndyCar race. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> One's a road course. The other's a big oval with a lot. Yeah. But, but he went down to Barber. When is he, he going to get practice on an actual oval? I believe next week is te- he will be testing. Okay. At Indianapolis. Okay. So he will be in the car. He did get a seat fitting. He met the team. Um, he so was, they've measured his butt. They have measured his butt, yes. Um, <laughs> form fitted the, the expansion foam. Because that's kind of what, well, actually it's like carbon fiber that they, it's weird. Um, anyway, he spent some time in the paddock. And there is pictures he actually interacted with fans. No. Yeah. Um, but, I bet they were like uniquely selected, you know, vetted, hand chosen. Well, the picture that I see is Alonzo on one side of a fence signing a fan, uh, a sign for a fan on the other side of the fence. But yeah. So now anyway. we have pull fences between them. <laughs> there was also a press conference there mm. where now after the um, international press that covers Formula One asked Fernando what the hell he was thinking. The American press that covers IndyCar got to ask Fernando what the hell he was thinking. <laughs> and Fernando had this to say. He said, four or five years ago, I started thinking about how to grow up as a driver and become a little bit a more complete driver. You have to remember, Fernando does some interesting um, modifications to grammar rules here. So he's a little challenging. Okay, his to read. first language is not English. True. But going on, he said, to do so, I think you need to win the best races in the world, the most prestigious races in the world. How to achieve that, I think, is Formula One, Indy 500, 24 Hours Le Mans, which is called the Triple Crown. That target, a very ambitious target because only one man in history did it, was quite attractive at the time. But I didn't think it was possible to attempt another race apart from Formula One until I was retired from Formula One. So to make it happen now, this year, is something that makes me very proud of my team and very happy because I will have the first attempt. I think the level of professionalism and commitment in the last two decades motorsport has been difficult to jump from one series to another in the same season. So this has no precedence probably in history, other than Nico Hulkenberg. The last drivers that attempted something similar had bigger experience or a couple of months preparation, more testing and different ovals and super speedways tests as well. This is quite a unique thing. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of the difficult. All of the fans are aware of it, but if you love motorsport, I think it's good news. Okay, um... In your sixth sense, like whisper there. Um, <laughs> I want to Nobody's do. Nobody's done it, but this guy. Um, I want to call a compare and contrast with our dear friend Nico Hulkenberg. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know, just full disclosure, that I've got a sweet spot for the six foot tall racer. <laughs> um, 
do you know that there was like no hype that he was going to go drive Le Mans before he drove Le Mans? There was some. But it wasn't like months of hype. It wasn't like there was a big deal. It was, oh, it's a week off. He's going to go drive Le Mans. You know, it's a statement. I, and, and, and I got to think that if it wasn't for the fact that he's dropping out of Monaco to do it. Mm-hmm. it you know, if, if this was also it was an off week event, the coverage would have been half as much. Yeah. But the fact that he's walking away from a Formula One race and walking away from the potential for points, and I can only wonder, and, and maybe this is part of the deals that's going on here, a lot of, if not all of the drivers, but a lot of the drivers, and I'd be surprised if Fernando wasn't one of them, have annual bonuses tied to the amount of points that they earned the team through the year. Correct. So with him walking away from the team voluntarily, as opposed to a medical issue, but walking away from the team voluntarily in Monaco without getting into all the other things of, you know, this is the best chance that Honda could possibly score some points. But with him walking away from that race, that is points that he is guaranteed not to earn the team. So is part of this deal a financial incentive that they are going to cover X number of points that he might have possibly scored in Monaco by him going over to, to Indianapolis instead. Honestly, I'd be surprised if that was part of the deal. I mean, being very honest, because how many points has he won this season so far? <laughs> and I just dropped my mic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I would not be surprised is that the financial incentive is actually because of the increased McLaren press coverage on the Indianapolis side. And it may be. I mean, there's a big difference to say he's average in Monaco versus, you know, crossing over and doing something in IndyCar. I mean, that's, that's I think, is the, what the, the press difference is. Um, maybe if he – and keep in mind, I think it's the top 30 in IndyCar get points, so maybe he'll, like, be able to apply his Indy points – to his Formula One bonus. And that may be. I don't know. Because, you know, there's a higher likelihood that he could get points in IndyCar. There's a potential that without winning the IndyCar race, that Fernando could, I don't know, rack up almost as many points as, oh, the Formula One world champion. Um, lap leading and pole and all the other way permutations he could probably get close to 100 points <laughs> i don't know i mean i would i would say probably closer to like 50 i mean if if fernando goes and he wins the hot dog eating contest in the pit lane isn't that like 75 bonus points <laughs> there is not a hot dog eating contest oh. in the pit lane <laughs> For the drivers, you know, they got to keep their weight down. You know, could it be if Fernando volunteers to judge the evening campsite Christmas light decoration now contest? Now that's extra points. I mean, that could be points there, too. You know something? I, I did look it up, and unfortunately, Mid-Ohio does conflict with a race that he's committed to be at. But I kind of figured <laughs> that if he fell in love with the IndyCar experience, that we might have a chance to, you know, rub elbows with him at uh, Mid-Ohio. But sadly... Not saying that's going to happen. Anyway, so yes. other teams and other struggling teams. Mm-hmm. 
Force India went into the season and they had great hopes. Yes. And then they went to testing and went, yeah, this ain't happening. <laughs> they turned their car pink. Well, no, it wasn't the turning the car pink. It, it, it was based on performance last year, and they'd been moving up, and they were really hoping to, you know, crack the top four. Mm-hmm. And then they saw where everybody else was and, and realized that that wasn't going to happen. Um, no, I thought they were looking for third place, but then they saw what happened to Red Bull because Red Bull picked up because they were fourth last year. Yeah. Well, they, so it they wasn't were, cracking the top four. They were hoping to crack cr- the top crack three. The top, crap top, bleh, crack the top three. Keep yes. it clean. We got, a, we got a G-rated show here. <laughs> well, they, they've had some aerodynamic issues. Sergio Perez believes that uh, the advantage of having a Mercedes engine um, has been negated mm. and that uh, Renault and Ferrari have caught up. Not quite sure Renault's there, but he thinks that they've caught up, and that's not quite the advantage. You notice he didn't loop in Honda. I, I, I did notice that. <laughs> yeah. um, but the team's boffins, the mm-hmm. folks who, who know more than us. Um, and that's very few people. They have diagnosed the car's problem as an aerodynamic issue. Oh. Now, would you care to guess which aerodynamic component they elected to replace? Well, Knowing I mean, what you know of how the Force India car looks, which one you would think it, they might have replaced? Well, the proboscis nose? Shockingly, it was not that. Oh. Um, it was actually the floor. The f- floor? I would have thought the extruded nose might have been the target since nobody else is running such an extruded nose. Again, clean wor- clean rating. Yes. But um, no, they have they have decided that it is the floor that is their weakness, and they have changed the floor, and they are hoping that that uh, resolves some of the, at least their aerodynamic problems. Oh, you mean they put one in? No, th- th- I mean there, there's legal. It's got to be there. Well, yes, they attached it properly. I, I well, th- there's designs in the channels and how those work. And oh, okay. Well, hopefully they have fixed the floor. I I think they might want to look at the nose. I'm just suggesting. Well, this is other teams that are looking at making some changes. More noses? No, we got word this week, and this is this was kind of a head scratcher, but we got word this week, and and remember we heard rumors that something was up with with Honda. But we got word that Sauber was very, very close to signing a deal for an engine supply and ditching their Ferraris, which this is the second time that that Sauber has run Ferraris. And I didn't realize this. One of the the stretches that Sauber ran Ferrari engines, it was badged as a Pertamina engine. I did not know that. Yeah. Actually, was it Pertamina or Patronus? Let me double check here. I'm sorry, I was wrong. It was badged as a Patronus. Pertamina is the Malaysian ah. version. However, as we record this, we have breaking news. Breaking? We have breaking news. No, I have... Where did it go? I have breaking news music. <gasps> now you have a bumper.
Okay, it was over like 10 seconds ago. No, it's over now. (laughs) (laughs) Breaking news as we record, it has been announced officially that from 2018 on, Sauber will indeed be a Honda customer. I have no words. But guess who does? Manisha. Absolutely. (laughs) What? What, pray tell, can I can't get out of my own way for failure, Monisha, have to say? She says that all of these issues that Honda has had and they're struggling, that is momentary issues. That is what is happening now. But we don't know how things are going to be in six months. And in six months, they could turn this whole thing around, and this could be the engine. (laughs) I only wish I possessed the level of optimism that Monisha tries to portray. But you know something? She's right. She's 100% right. This is now... And in six months, Honda has the ability to either pull it out of the fire and do something amazing or shove it further back into the exploding <laughs> bomb that it is. Well, her, her exact words here. She says, that is very mo- uh, momentary how you are summarizing it. That is as of now. Nobody knows what it's going to be in the future. We are absolutely confident that Honda will make improvements and sort out their issues. We are convinced that it is going to happen. We were in a similar situation in 2014 when there was big difference in the competitiveness of the engine, but there was no reason for us to start questioning or criticizing because we knew Ferrari was doing everything they could and they did. Nobody knows what is going to be in six months, and we just feel that from the overall opportunities that we have there, it strengthens or fits into the way we want to go. So out of curiosity, I believe I remember that they're driving last year's Ferrari engine. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So yeah, this might be an improvement. Um, Well, see, we don't know. Since the Honda engine has yet to finish a race, we don't know. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> I mean... How many points does Sauber have again? Well, yeah. There's there's that. Actually, I think Pascal got a point. Pascal got I could, a point? I could be wrong. Okay. Um, but Pascal, it, he at least managed to qualify in 11th in his first race back. So there was that. Well, there is that. And here's the deal that we all know, because we've gone through this where they've driven last year's engine before. Mm-hmm. In the early part of the season, the delta is not as great as at the end of the season. Because it's not being upgraded. Yeah. So, as the other engines on the grid start evolving, hello Honda, please evolve. Um, it Just because they have a point now doesn't mean that they will continue to get any points and hopefully Honda will not end the year with zero points. But but it's not just that though because every other team that is running a current version of the engine is doing significantly well a current version of their manufacturer's engine with the right. exception of Honda is doing significantly better than they were last year. Right. And then you have Sauber, which is still running last year's engine. 
which wasn't that great to begin with. And yet still doing better than Honda. Well, again, finish the race. I believe possibly the medical car might be the only team vehicle that is going worse than the honda right now. yeah but they start every race yes and dnf every race I- except the hondas haven't started every race that's true stoffel has not started every race <laughs> stoffel the flying waffle <laughs> so yeah <laughs> you, you know i am ready for the flying waffle to at least start and finish you know things race. are bad when your car is being compared to the safety car yeah well the formula one strategy group met this week yes and there were lots of topics on the list to to go over and think about and churn one of the things has been discussed is um yeah this whole honda thing is making us all look really really bad Ooh. um so there is talks about doing some kind of rules changes rules breaks just for honda okay in the hopes that possibly somebody can find something Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe a couple extra feet i don't know that could make this team this engine almost maybe possibly competitive ouch one of the rumors that has come forward is that possibly mercedes um, could be enlisted to assist the team. Now, the idea is that this wouldn't be like helping them redesign the whole engine or something like that, but more around the electronics and ERS, and possibly at least that could fix some of their issues. Because we do know that they have ERS issues, and they, they have much less power coming out of their ERS than everybody else. So that is one of the possibilities that appears to have been floated. What I can see happening is that Mercedes will be asked to give them a list of better practices. And much like we do in business all the time where it's like, oh, are we doing best practices? And it's like a checklist. You know, are you doing X? Yes or no? Are you doing Y? Yes or no? It could be like a checklist and Honda could go down it and, you know, it wouldn't say build a better engine. It would say something like, you know, did you put gas in your engine? No, it's going to be, see this? This is supposed to be plugged in. (laughs) Did you plug in? Do you have any hanging wires anywhere? Well, see, I don't think that there's an issue with hanging wires or dirty components or anything like that. Because one of the things that Honda is known for, just like Formula One in general, is cleanliness and, you know, hanging bits isn't going to be an issue. And drips of oil and and, and food. Well, that's on this this best practice list. They have to go down. They have to do the checklist. Do you think that what the issue is that they are so clean that they have forgotten to add an entire component? That might be what it is. (laughs) You cannot save weight by leaving the oil out. Also possible. But I think it's not a matter of leaving the oil out. I'm thinking that they like left their like cooling fan out or something. No, 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 no. The electrons in the battery don't add weight. You need more of them. <laughs> add electrons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, now, McLaren has come forward. In particular, Eric Bouillet has come forward. And he has said that even though our engine sucks... My words, not his. But he said, even though our engines suck, 
we are still pushing ahead with the chassis. We have to do this. Well, We're not just sitting back and saying, Honda, fix this mess. This is all on you. Help me, Honda. Um, help me, Honda. Uh, no, they're, they're probably not saying that at that point. What Eric Bouillet has said, he said, first of all, because racing is in our DNA, but second, because if we just give up, then everything collapses. So we can't collapse. We are responsible for the chassis performance. So we have to make sure that we have a good chassis and that we develop it. Plus, we need to prepare also the coming years because there will be at least two or three years of stability in the regulations. So all this platform we are building now for the future, we are professional and racing. And you can't just stop racing because one of your components doesn't work. Well, I mean, I think he's right because the Honda engine is only part of their problem. Yeah. If the Honda engine was entirely their problem, that was the only problem that they had then we, I think we would see a different level of performance because they would be able to, when power didn't need to be, wasn't a component, we would see speed. Mm -hmm. And we see that in, and I, my, I point to Red Bull when we see that. Because you take Red Bull up against um, Renault, same engine. Yep. And we know that the aero and the chassis design on that Red Bull is so far superior that they're able to get more out of that engine because it's being eight, the the components are working together. Well, that, that's always been a Red Bull thing, though. I yeah. Mean, well, even going back to uh, the glory years when they were winning the championships, they were never the fastest car on the track. They were the car with the best aero that allowed them to go faster through the slower bits. Right. And that's what gave them the advantage that they needed. Right. And that's the balance. Since McLaren hasn't figured out how to be faster in the slower bits, they can't. They're they're trying to overcome that with engine power that they don't have. Well, the thing is, how do you turn around? I mean, you're limited on wind tunnel time. Mm -hmm. So how do you turn around and truly test your aerodynamic developments and make sure that they are truly tuned up to the best possible options when your car isn't driving fast enough for you to leverage them in the first place well, see that's part of the problem i mean that's part of the problem it's it, this becomes an argument of chicken and eggs too because they got to get a car that's fast enough to be able to test it to figure out how to tweak it yeah they can't get a car that is reliable enough to get fast enough to test it, to tweak it. I mean, that's... And yet you still can't point specifically and say, well, only if the engine was better. Well, yeah, if the engine was better, they could do some other things. But if I had some ham, I could have some ham and eggs if I had some eggs. Yeah. That's that's where they are. I have summed up all of McLaren's problems and it probably made us all hungry for breakfast. Possibly. So let's talk about some other strategy group stuff. Okay. Now, do you remember, I believe it was 2013 or 2014, in Austin, when Force India and Sauber and a couple other teams were not doing, well, Force India in particular, was not doing as well. Mm -hmm. And they were upset because they were not on the strategy group and they did not have a voice and they weren't getting money and this was screwing everything up and that's it. We're going to the EU. 
You remember that whole thing? And and, and maybe if, if we don't get a voice, we're going to boycott races. Do you remember that whole thing? I, I do remember that whole thing. Spearheaded by Bob Fernley. It was. And it was very upset. And I think a lot of it was about the the disparity in the funding because he was convinced that if he could just have a little bit more funding, he could build a better car. And because he wasn't represented, because the team wasn't represented on the strategy group, it was it was hurting their chances. Right. Well, thanks to their improved performance the last two years, Force India has been on the strategy group. Oh, they got a seat at the table? They have had a seat at the table. So Bob Fernley has come forward and, and he's talked about their position on the strategy group. Mm-hmm. Now, you'd probably expect that, you know, he's really pumped and excited and happy because they are represented now. They're having a say. They've got a voice. They're doing stuff, right? Right. What Bob had to say. From a personal point of view, it's been a lot of hassle. It's our third year on the strategy group. I've taken a lot of sl- flack over the past two and, two and a half to three years. From a moral responsibility point of view, we're the only team representing the independent teams, and somebody's got to stand up for what you think is right in Formula One. Bob continues that you know he still believes that it's unfair that not all teams are involved in the group. Now, this year, that means that Renault, because, of course, they're doing really bad despite being a constructor, but Renault, Toro Rosso, which I'm not sure you can really count them, Sauber, and Haas are currently on the outside. He feels that that's unfair given the significance of the items being discussed. He said he went on to say, I just feel that as much as it's an inconvenience and quite a headache for me personally, you have some responsibility to the team and your fellow competitors that aren't represented there. And that to me is still something that's totally wrong. I feel very strongly about it and I feel quite passionate about it as well. We do the things that we do and stand up and be counted, not just against the teams, but obviously against the commercial rights holder and the FIA and whoever we feel is actually reducing the impact for the independent teams. Wow. Now, I applaud Bob for for the attitude of we're representing the folks who aren't allowed to be in the room. Right. I question the whole thing of saying, well, but really, this is a hassle and a pain in the butt. I don't <laughs> like that. Come on, man. It's one or the other. <laughs> well, I mean, I can probably agree with him. I bet it is a bit of a bureaucracy hassle. It probably is. Yeah. But I do appreciate the fact that, you know, he's trying to think broader. Well, I, I won't whip out the Christian Horner quote that we like to whip out of him going, you must think think bigger than your own team. Yeah, but I wouldn't have thought bigger than my yeah. own team when I was winning. It's not my job. But you must think bigger than your own team. Yeah. <laughs> All of you winners out there, yeah. you got to think bigger than you. But I only have to look out for myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there were other things discussed. There, there, like I said, there was quite a few things discussed. One of the things that was brought up, and you remember um, Ross Braun mentioning it as we started in the season, the concern with all the extra arrow about passing, and if we weren't getting passing, that possibly they were going to have to step in and do something. Right. Well, one of the things that was decided, at least so far, is that no changes will be made to DRS for the remainder of the bleh, for the remainder of the year, even though we're having fewer passes. Okay. So that at least is not going to change. One of the changes that is, and I'm not so much sure that this is um, a change to the rules so much as the FIA saying 
we're actually going to go and enforce this rule. So what happened? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. It was a change to, nope, that is for T-Wings. Here we go. This is what it is. Article 9.2 of the FIA's sporting regulations for Formula One states that the driver's number must be clearly visible on the front of the car and on the driver's crash helmet. It also adds that the name or the emblem of the make of the car must appear on the front of the nose of the car and in either case be at least 25 millimeters in its largest dimension. The name of the driver must appear on the external bodywork and be clearly legible. Okay. So Charlie Whiting has sent a letter to the teams saying that from Barcelona forward, this is going to be enforced. So the letter that Charlie said was that we require each car number to be clearly visible from the front of the car in accordance with Article 9.2. We feel that to be clearly visible, the numbers should be no less than 230 millimeters high, have a minimum stroke thickness of 40 millimeters, and be a clearly contrasting color to their background. Now, when it comes to the, to the driver's name, teams have the option to use the official timing screen screen abbreviation so it can instead of just saying hamilton it can just say ham or vet for battle you know that kind of a thing um, whiting also confirmed that failure to meet the new rules could mean that a car is ineligible to take part writing that in order to fully comply with the f1 sporting regulations we expect all cars to be presented in barcelona with this new much clearer identification a report will be made to the stewards concerning any car that does not comply with the above minimum requirements. I don't really understand why that would be very hard to comply with. It shouldn't be. I mean, I'm thinking in my mind, Silver Arrows, their numbers are very clearly visible on the front end of their car. But nobody has... They don't have... The, I don't know where their names would be. One of... Well... One of the things that was floated back the last time there were shark fins was putting those names on the fin. They could go on the engine cover. Mm -hmm. They could go on the – I mean, they could go on the side pods. There's plenty of places. I, yeah, I just don't know if they currently have the names somewhere that I just haven't found them. No. Nobody's uh, doing it. Nobody's put their names on it. Right. And there are some teams that and, – and I think Sauber is one of them – that the numbers are not clearly visible. Okay. So, yeah, there are some teams that need to make changes because it's gotten kind of bad. So, apparently, there's going to be some graphic design work yeah. being done before Barcelona. But the cars will look different for the next race. Yes. Um, another thing that has been out, and I believe this is for 2018, but I'm not positive, um, proposed to reinstate standing starts after red flags. Okay. Now, for red flags, it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. I don't like this idea of, okay, we go to the red flag, everybody piles into the pits, they play with the cars and whatever, and then, up, oh, let's bring out the safety car, run two more laps behind the safety car, and then release everybody. I'm okay with that. The earlier idea that was being floated, which was the doing a standing restart after a safety car period, that I think is stupid, and I'm glad they're not doing that. Okay. Um, they have confirmed that there is... Uh, rules that allow the safety car to be used for um, or, or standing start after a safety car in the rain mm -hmm. if we start behind a safety car um, but they haven't done that yet so we'll see what happens if that becomes instituted 
Makes but sense. It does exist. That is for this year. For the standing restart after a red flag, that's for next year. I think next year. I'm not clear. Okay. It hasn't gone to World Motorsport Council for approval yet. The other thing, because we know this is a big deal in somebody's mind, the FIA is going to clamp down on burning oil as a fuel next year. Okay. It, it's a big deal to somebody. I, yeah. D this was important enough. They had to deal with it to somebody. All right. Well, I'm glad that they are going to solve that problem. That wasn't a problem. But okay. But what you do want to hear is that there have been changes to the technical regulations for 2018. Specifically, new article 3.5.1c that states that when viewed from the side, no bodywork forward of the rear wheel center line may lie above a line parallel to the diagonal boundary defined in A, a rule that defines the dimension of the engine cover, and intersecting the rear wheel center line 650 millimeters above the reference plane. What that means. No shark fin. And no T-wings. Whoa. Yes. See, I wasn't opposed to the T-wing. I'm opposed to the shark fin. Both the T-wing and the shark fin for 2018 should be banned at this point. Assuming that World Motorsport approves this. And I don't see any reason why they would not. Okay. Now, this ban does not stop further T-wing and shark fin development on this year's cars. True, and it doesn't stop it coming forward of the rear tire. Keep that in mind. That's one of the things, you know, depending on where that line is, you could drop it right in front of that line on the T-wing. Yeah. I don't think you could, I don't, I don't think the shark wing would work that way. No, the shark fin they can't do. The, the way they defined it, that they can't, the, the box was defined as such that presents that. I would assume the T-Wing would also be banned. However, if the T-Wing is that low and doesn't have the shark fin, I'm not sure there's an aerodynamic benefit anyway. Well, you remember when we first started talking about the T-Wing? One of the comments that got made was that they felt like they could get out of the T-Wing itself as much aero um, enhancement as the shark fin. So the combination of the two obviously made it even better, but... The thought was, could they possibly not run the shark fin if they had the T-Wing? Well, see, my question is, yes, we know there's an aerodynamic benefit. But truly, on the teams that have these wings, the T-Wings, not the shark fins, but the T-Wings specifically, how does this affect the television reception in the car? I know. <laughs> it does look like an antenna, doesn't it? Especially the McLaren one. I'm pretty sure I saw that exact same antenna on top of a house three doors down. Hey, it is possible. That is possible. I'm sure that's where they got the design idea from. Yeah, possibly. Um, and in theory, we are supposed to have some form of cockpit head protection coming in 2018. But we all know that nobody really likes the halo. Right. They like the idea of – well, some folks like the idea of a cockpit head protection. But nobody likes the halo. So now the, the new proposal is the shield. Dun-dun-dun! They really need to come up with better naming systems for this. This is essentially a transparent windscreen. Wow. Gee, I wonder what podcaster came up with that idea when the halo sucked so badly. Well, it, it's very similar to the, the, well, we haven't seen pictures of it, but the concept is very similar to the Red Bull Arrow Wing 
or arrow arrow screen arrow screen which oh failed impact testing right so there's a question as to whether or not something can be designed that would a survive impact testing and b the other concern and this is one that several drivers have mentioned is we're going to put this windscreen up in front of or this impact screen up in front of the driver's face mm-hmm. that's great when the weather's nice what about when it rains? There's not going to be windshield wipers because that messes up the aerodynamic line. How is visibility going to work there? Well, how does visibility work with the visor down on their helmets? But the difference is that a driver on a straight or wherever can always reach forward and quickly wipe their hand and glove across the visor. You're not going to reach in front of your cockpit at 200 miles an hour and try and wipe your hand across this big, this big honking. Well, they windscreen. use the tearaways too. Even still, I can't see a driver trying to pull and the, you know, the debris that the tearaways create is controversial enough. Imagine how big that tearaway would be on one of these screens. True. I don't know. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how that shakes out. But that is the latest proposal. There's going to be some uh, on-track testing in the coming weeks to see what the drivers think of that. I don't know. Um, the other thing that was discussed, and, of course, there is still no agreement, and I am guessing that there probably will not be an agreement for at least another three years, um, would be a new engine formula from 2021 20, on. Okay. There is an agreement in principle that these engines will be cheaper and noisier, mm-hmm. whether or not they're more efficient or anything like that. We don't know yet, but that's all that there is. And, of course, nobody can agree, at least for now, as to what that engine should look like. Okay. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know. So let's talk a little about Russia. This week, the Russian Grand Prix. Yes. First of all, if, if you did not notice... The traditional visit by semi-confirmed, partial, maybe, maybe not dictator occurred. Not Bernie Eccleston, but he was there. He was wearing a, um, it, it was still white, but it was a zip jacket that matched the other Russian officials. I've never seen him out of uniform before. It kind of disturbed me. We've seen him in that windbreaker before, or in a windbreaker. But uh, besides Bernie, at least one senior official was the Russian from the Russian government was there to speak with Danny Kavita. It was assistant prime minister, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Possibly for internal security and sports excellence. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but yes, he Possibly made his standard. Possibly telling Danny, Danny Kvyat, you, you will end up on the podium or your parents stay in the gulag. Yeah, um, something tells me based on free practice and quali, his parents are staying in the gulag. Staying in the gulag. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, but we have had our pre-race visit. Um, although, you know, Vlad wasn't there this this on practice in uh, quali, from what I could tell. And I don't believe he has in the past. Remember, he usually shows up. In the driver's room to scare them Yeah, t- towards the very end in the driver's room because he is the only person who manages to convince Bernie or and the FIA in general to let him in there. Right. Again, possibly with the. With I don't the think he convinces anyone. I think he just does. 
there, there's that positive. You're going to stand in my way. Mm-hmm. I I have a cell for you. I know. <laughs> um, but changes have been made to the track. For yes, the week. some turn changes. Um, yeah, track uh, between. I tra- know oh, it was it was at turn two. Um, that was an area that drivers have been known to overrun it a little bit and um, ignore track limits. Yeah. Well, they've put in some speed bumps, um, specifically along the at just outside. I believe it's the the astroturf along the edge of that turn. Okay. To further enforce track limits and also the requirement that if you overrun it, you can't just rejoin right away. You have to go all the way down into the especially around the bollard. Yeah, th- there's a bo- well. It's not even a bollard at this point. It's you have to go all the way around the speed bump. Oh, okay. But you can't just rejoin right away. You've got it. So we'll see if that Affects does the anything. I don't know. I, I I still think that you know maybe a, a a wire along the track edges, and every time that the driver crosses over it, the electrode in the seat zaps the driver. Um, I'm I'm opposed to zapping drivers. <laughs> <laughs> but what I really think ought to be designed into these tracks is to make them smart tracks. It's pretty simple. You run a sensor, you know, a wire down the where track limit is. You put a sensor in the car. Sensor crosses the wire. Car slows down. They, well, you, you deduct a, a second. You, you deduct something from them. It just becomes automatic because the truth is they've exceeded track limits. It is yep. very, very simple. And on this one, I have to agree with David Cothart on it. This is not a matter of getting creative or pushing the limits. I'm all for them riding the edge of that limit if it gives them a competitive advantage. But, you know, here's the thing. Let's think about tennis for a second. When that ball hits the line, it's in. But when it hits the outside of the line, it is out. Mm-hmm. And it changes whose possession of the ball it is. It changes the game. And why motorsport can't agree that there is a track limit and a track limit should be enforced, I don't understand. Because there's that idea of we want to see good battles. Mm -hmm. And sometimes good battles drag off the edges because of the size of the track. So... Do we want to be rigid about the track limits or do we want the good battles? And again, because Formula One can't make that decision and can't figure out whether it is a sport or it's entertainment, and granted recognizes that entertainment is an important part of their attraction, but they always tend to lean towards the entertainment and less towards the sport. Okay, so let's look at some other professional sports that are also entertainment. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the NFL for a second. They're not changing whether or not that's inbounds or outbounds on those sidelines. A runner go running down the the field with the ball in his hand, and he steps across whatever that line is called. He's out. They stop the mov- movement of the ball, progression of the ball forward, correct? In all honesty, I don't think that that's the best comparison. Okay. Major Foul lines, league, baseball. Major League Baseball, I think, is a better comparison because not every park is the same. 
and every park has different lines and different limits and has done various different things to affect and impact those lines and limits, and it gives those parks character. It doesn't change that a ball that goes over the foul line or hits the foul pole is out, but the location of that foul pole or the location of that outfield wall certainly affects the game and how the game is played in that park. And There's that's not why rules tra- as to where that foul line has to be? There is to a point. But remember that some parks have obstructions and things like that. I mean, there was, I believe it was in Houston, back in, in the old Astrodome, they used to have speakers that hang, hung down from the ceiling. And it was, after this actually happened, it was ruled that if a, uh, a hit ball strikes one of those speakers, it's a ground rule double. Oh, wow. Because it impacts the trajectory of that ball. You know, that might have been a ball that had the, the distance, height, and speed to be a home run, but it hit the speaker, which changed the direction and changed the directory, the trajectory. So the parks and the rules are adapted to those parks, and that impacts your strategy and how you play the game in those parks. That should be the same thing with Formula One. I think that's a good boundaries. point. Yes, we know Monaco has walls two inches from the edge of the thing. You don't run off the track because of it. Well, it's the same thing at every other park or, or at every other track. Mm-hmm. That is the track limit. And yes, this this specific turn, it encourages you, it entices you to run it wide. But if you run it wide, you're going to eat the wall. Oh, well, <laughs> welcome to Formula One. Right. And you don't have to destroy a car to pay a consequence for running wide. Mm-hmm. And that's th- that's my point, is there's a track limit. The track limit's there for a reason. It's to keep everything competitive. It's to keep the cars on the track, to keep mm-hmm. the action on the track. You run wide, you pay a penalty for it. Now, you get pushed wide by somebody else. I think that that's, that's where you get some gray area. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where the question is, is... You know, they, they don't want drivers pushing somebody that they're battling with into a wall or into the edge or into jeopardy. And without a firm barrier of some sort, mm-hmm. you know, you're fighting with another driver and you try and push them off toward the edge or over the edge. You know you're not going to injure the driver, but you're sure as heck going to injure their race. Right. You might be kind of more inclined to do that. Well, and, and that's... And that, that's an issue. And then how do you turn around? And, and it it's what we've run into in the past in the last couple of years with, with penalties of how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. And we get these... Qu- because on one hand, we really want them to race and we want them to fight and we want them to battle... But we don't want them to turn around. Well, I'm not going to come near you because if I come within two inches, I'm going to get penalized. So that that's that's the bigger challenge there. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. The other thing from Russia, we had heard, I think it was last year or the year before that, that you know, based on the success of Singapore, and based on the success of Abu Dhabi of being the night races or Abu Dhabi going from through sunset in, into night, and the fact that um, 
converting Bahrain into a night night race made it slightly more interesting. Right. Visually more appealing. Yes. Than just the fields of desert. That Russia wanted to do the same thing. Yes. They have announced that they are dropping their plans to become a night race before 2020. They may still do it, but at least between now and 2020, yeah, they're probably not going to do it. See, I think it takes some of the special off of night races if everybody wants to do a night race. Yeah. That's, and, and so I was kind of generally opposed to Russia being a night race under the stance of it's cool that Singapore's a night race. It's cool that Bahrain's a sunset race. It's cool that Abu Dhabi's a night race. But when you start getting five-plus night races, I think we start pushing the limits. And honestly, I don't think that it's that cool that Bahrain is a night race. It's a sunset race. No, Abu Dhabi's a sunset race. Abu Dhabi's the sunset race? Yes. Okay. Because remember, it starts bright, and then it goes down, and you see the light on the hotel go on, and then they change colors and all that stuff. Abu Dhabi's the sunset race. Okay. Bahrain is the night race, but... The only reason why they made Bahrain a night race is because the overhead shot of the race during the day, it's there's a strip of black and then desert. Well, and there's nothing. There's also the fact that Bahrain's in a desert, Singapore is hotter than stink. Abu Dhabi's not exactly a cool weather place. Yeah. One of the things that they have in Russia is that while it's a warmer area of Russia, it's not hot. It's not normally. Apparently, this, this weekend, weekend it is, warm. but it's also not normally a warm race. And and that is it. actually a really good point of you're going to run these cars in essentially a mirror image of Barcelona in winter testing. Where, right. Gee, is it going to snow tonight? I mean. <laughs> yeah. And they don't have snow tires. Yeah. They're not they're not set up to to drive in snow. So let's let's be careful when we do these things. Let's do them for an actual reason, like the fact that our drivers would melt if we had them run in Singapore during the daytime. Yeah. And I don't want a melty Lewis Hamilton. I no, mean it's, it, it's bizarre enough when he gets out of the car all sweaty and, and his yeah. I, I don't know whether we see more of his undergarments than we need to. And does he only ever wear red? <laughs> So, our last story. Mm-hmm. And it's not about his red undergarments. No, thank God. Um, you had to go there. Um, no, it, it's a mix of, you know, calling back to the old male buoy and calling back to current Bloke and a Bird show. We're having a hybrid moment? It is. Okay. It's the joining of the two. I don't like it when my cruise worlds ships, collide. Cruise ships and racing. I don't like it when my worlds collide. Well, you know, you can't say that. Because if you remember, way, way back when, on, on the old Mail Buoy podcast, it was, I believe, was it MSC or was it Costa? And at the time, we weren't following Formula One. One of the two on their brand new ship back then featured a Formula One driving simulator. Okay. So th- this whole thing of cruises and some of the slowest vehicles in the world and fastest vehicles in the, in the world, it, every so often they collide okay. in, in interesting ways. Well, Norwegian's newest ship, the Norwegian Joy. Joy! Which, which has just been floated out, not to be confused with the Norwegian Epic, and it's toupee. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> the epic does have a toupee. But the Norwegian Joy is part of a partnership with Ferrari, who is trying to uh, increase their overall marketing efforts. Will feature a Ferrari themed two level go kart track on two the ship. Level. Two levels. Uh, the two-level track will have room for 10 electric go-karts. Okay. Now, this isn't built in partnership with Ferrari, the ma- the car manufacturer, but Scuderia Ferrari watches. Okay. And granted, it's all the same group, but it's the watch group that is doing this. The barriers to the track are red with the prancing horse crest displayed prominently. The track will be laid out on the top level of the joy and offering racers a view of the sea as they turn laps. Plus, Ferrari watches will also be sold in a retail shop near the track as part of the deal. Fastest lap gets you a watch? Well, they'll be selling them. Now, before you go, okay, I'm going to go book this, and, and off we go. One important thing of note, the Norwegian Joy has been specifically built and designed for the Chinese cruise market. Oh. Um, now, I don't know if that means that Actually, no, I'm sorry. I, I do know. Its home port will be split between Shanghai, China, and Tianjin, China. Okay. Now, not saying that an American could not or would not sail on the ship, but when you have a ship that is designed for the foreign, a foreign market like this, that means that English is not primarily the spoken language on board the ship, um, primarily not the signed language on board the ship, and your average passenger will not be an American who speaks English. Well, it's more than that. And something that you've got to... Currency be, is different. And- currency can be can be different, but even down to the furniture design. And I say... And menus. And menus. But furniture design is key. And mm-hmm. I, I, as an American, it hurts me to have to say this, but I don't know if you realize that our butts are a little bit larger than the Asian market. Well... Yes, structurally there's differences, and even style-wise there's going to be differences. So when Norwegian moved a ship from the Asian market into the American and European markets... The one that we're going to be on this year. Correct. They had to completely ditch every chair on the ship. Yes. Because they didn't hold the American. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a level of comfort. I mean, you could deal with a lot of the other things, but if all of the furniture is sized differently... You might want to be able to double think, including, I'm assuming, the go-karts. Well, so, some of the other things that, that are, are notable when, when you're on a ship that is designed for a foreign market from the U.S. You know, a couple of, we were on the Westerdam several years ago for Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. they specifically changed the menu for the Americans because they don't normally serve full turkey dinners on board and it showed but um and it wasn't that great but they specifically changed the menu for the american taste there's a lot of ships that are designed for the german market that cruise the caribbean that time of year germans don't celebrate thanksgiving yeah they're not they're not eating turkey in caribbean on yeah. thanksgiving yeah no, that's uh, you. You are very, very right. There's just there's some differences. What I'm interested about was the fact that they're naming this the Norwegian Joy, and not putting it under Starlines. Yeah, that was kind of surprising. Um, and and 
I don't know what's up with that deal. I mean, we haven't been following the industry that closely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, clearly Spirit was taken, and I, I'm assuming that they were going to avoid using Norwegian wood, despite the fact that I think it was Phil who recommended that many years ago. <laughs> yes, but it, it was an alternate name to the Epic with its toupee. Yeah, the Norwegian toupee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so our worlds have collided. Again. Again. So, with that and the collision that did not result in a car being harmed in the wall, we should probably call it a show. Well, that's because Pastor Maldonado wasn't involved. Or apparently Lance Stroll. Yeah. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is is everybody gone? (laughs) Huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.